Don't we all really want to be a hero? Don't we all really want to look at life and see who it is we want to be and have a plan to get there? That's what today's guest, Brian Johnson, who's the CEO of Heroic Public Benefit Corporation and the author of Arate, Activate Your Heroic Potential, that's what he's going to talk about today on the Manlyhood Mancast. Men, nobody but you can lead your family and yourself to greater things. Nobody but you can carve your path. It's time to rise up and be a man. Welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast with Josh Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher, and just want to encourage you guys, what we're doing here at Manlyhood really matters. It really does. And so if this conversation today here, this interview, if this is something that helps you, that gives you some hope, that gives you some encouragement, and you can think of somebody else that would also get that encouragement, I want to ask you to do me the favor and do them the favor of sharing this with them. And in fact, I think it's going to be a favor for you. Share it with them and ask them, hey, how can we work on this together? Because that is really how we grow as men when we have those conversations with somebody. So find a guy that you want to have those conversations with, forward this episode to them, and let's start the conversation so that we can all become even better men. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Ancient wisdom and modern science come together to help inform the work that Brian Johnson, today's guest, is doing at Heroic and at Arate, which is the the subject of his new book. Guys, he has done some amazing stuff. He sent me an amazing care package before we did this interview with his book and with access to his his app and the work that he's doing there. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now. This is amazing stuff. This is an amazing tool. It's a great book. It's going to help you to really look at the potential of who you can be and to make the steps that you need to get there. Uh, I am really excited about the the stoic principles and the principles of science and uh, all of it that Brian has put together in this. And I think this interview is a really good taste of some of the work that Brian's doing. So without further ado, Brian Johnson. Brian, it is great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us, man. Josh, I'm thrilled to be here. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I got a care package from you yesterday, and I was really excited. I'm like, wow, there is. You guys put a lot of time and effort into making sure to connect with your, you know, your your podcast hosts. And I'm like, man, this is pretty awesome. I was looking through the book and looking through the material, and I'm like, yeah, this. You you're the real deal, man. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that and I'm thrilled you got the, uh, the package and excited to talk about what it means to, uh, to be a man in the modern world. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, on your shirt for anybody that's watching, it says Arate. What, what, what does that mean? Tell, let's start there. What is that all about? Yeah, so you'll find uh, Arate on my shirt. You'll find it on my right forearm. And then, of course, you'll find it on the... Uh, the cover of the book that we've got coming out. Um, but arete is an ancient Greek word. It's the one word answer the ancient Stoics would give you on how to live a good life. Ancient Greek, you know, philosophers like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, and of course Aurelius and Seneca and Epictetus. If you asked them, hey, how do I live a good life? And they had to answer you in a single word, it would be arete. We translate the word into English um, as virtue or excellence, but it has a deeper meaning, something closer to being your best self, moment to moment to moment. And the way I frame it up is, if in any given moment you're capable of being this, and you're actually being this, and there's a gap between who you could have been and who you're actually being, it's in that gap in which regret, anxiety, disillusionment, etc., exists. But when you live with Arte, you close the gap. You're being your best self. And there's no room for that negative stuff in that moment. It doesn't mean you have a perfect life, obviously. But in the moment in which you express your best self, you feel what the Greeks would call eudaimonia, which was the summum bonum, the greatest good of life. Um, 
which means good soul, but it basically it's a deep sense of joyful, meaningful, um, you know, sense of purpose. You're doing what you're here to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So uh, I take it that you are very inspired and interested in in uh, the wisdom of the Stoics then, right? Yeah, I got a bunch of heroes on my wall. I got Epictetus right behind me. Epictetus is my favorite teacher. Um, Aurelius is my favorite leader. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've studied a lot of ancient wisdom. My whole thing is ancient wisdom, modern science. So I've studied, you know, all the ancient wisdom traditions, but my favorite flavor is unquestionably Stoicism. And then modern science affirms it, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially Stoicism applied, etc. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself. What, what got you on this journey, man? I mean, this is something that's obviously important to you. You've got it tattooed on your arm. So how did you get to this place? You know, there's kind of like the warm and fuzzy story of I've spent half of the last 25 years as a founder, CEO. I've built and sold two businesses and all the other things. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was reading and writing and teaching and I was a philosopher, um, which is important and we can talk about it. But, you know, my origin story involves being the youngest of five kids. My dad struggled with alcohol. His dad struggled with alcohol and ended his own life. Um, you know, I, I can kind of joke now that it looks like I lost both the genetic and the environmental lottery on that one. 25 years ago, I was thinking about ending my own life. Just couldn't figure out. I had none of this. You know, first generation college student, lower middle class, blue collar family. My father worked in a grocery store. Um, and I had the same intensity I have now, but none of the wisdom. And I definitely didn't want to do what I was told. <laughs> I needed to do after graduating from UCLA and um, it was a tough time and it was out of that suffering that I saw in my own family and, and especially with us in my father my brother who's 13 years older than me same struggles as my dad you know his dad like breaking those generational cycles and, and trying to be um, and my dad did his best he was a good man you know and just got overwhelmed five kids and just the grind I can only imagine that um, but I've just always had this desire to understand what it is that makes great people great. The, you know, the, the truly historically significant figures that I admire, like an Abraham Lincoln, a Marcus Aurelius, an Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, these individuals that I think showed up and gave their best. Um, and that's evolved to try to understand that from a philosophical perspective. Um, and again, integrate the ancient wisdom and modern science into practical tools that I use to kind of build the scaffolding in my own life um, and then to help others who may be struggling, um, create a life of meaning. And then, you know, we've been blessed to work with some of the most elite military officers and executives and athletes and coaches and help people go to the next level. And the reality is it all comes down to this. All of us have a little bit more or a lot more potential that we can activate. Um, long answer to your question, but a lot of suffering um, and then just a deep passion and a, and a fierce commitment to mastering myself and my craft and figuring out how I can share this um, in a meaningful way. Awesome. Yeah, I, it's funny how much, you know, when we're in those moments of suffering, we're like, you don't see the other side of it, you know? And you're like, man, it just feels like this is the end, you know? And yep. a lot of times that pain that we go through ends up being the, the very thing that fuels the, the good that ends up coming out, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, but this is the hero's journey. So the hero answers the call to adventure, they get a guide, they get buddies, they fight their dragons. They win, they learn, they win, they learn, hopefully they come back transformed and they bring that boon back. And it's your own suffering that becomes, when properly alchemized, I think the source of the deepest wisdom. You know, the people I admire the most were the most humble, are the most wise, they've suffered a lot, and they, but yet they've fought through that and they've come back with some lessons that they can share. And at the end of the day, that's kind of my, my fiercest commitment. Um, and really just talking about men, dude, like I wish I can go back and help my dad you know like well, how, how could I have reached him and a big part of my work is I don't want to be that guy that's like the new agey woo woo hey I'm the guru dude it's no no how do we connect to people that wouldn't otherwise be into this stuff you know and and talk common sense make it common practice but lean into stuff that's just unassailably true you know and you can feel the essence of it um, and try to meet people where they're at and then challenge them you know to step up and to do what they're here to do yeah, there's a couple things you, you said in, in what you were just talking about that kind of brings up this question. So, you know, you're talking about the hero's journey. I know you talk about, you know, being heroic, and that's something that people want. But, um, and that appeals to that guy that's in the pit, right? 
You know, he's like, I, I want to be the hero. I'm tired of being the villain. I'm tired of being the damsel in distress, right? <laughs> no, no guy wants to feel like the damsel in distress. You know, we want to be the, the hero. In <laughs> right. We're, we're wanting to be the hero in that story. Or, or maybe even the guide, right? Because the yeah. guide is also a form of hero. So that's what we want to be in that story. But uh, usually the guys that are actually the heroes are usually never the ones that are like, hey, I'm a hero. <laughs> They're really humble, you know? What do you think that breakdown is? What's the difference there? Well, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, some of the guys I know who are most worthy of being described as that in the traditional sense are the ones who deflected, no, 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 you know, I just, I'm doing what I'm here to do, and, and that's right. But I like to redefine what the word hero means. So in ancient Greece, they came up with this word as well. Um, the word hero doesn't mean killer of bad guys or tough guy. In ancient Greece, it meant protector. So a, a hero was a protector. They had strength for two. They did the hard work to have the strength for two. They weren't the victims complaining about things. They were the ones going to the sound of the gunfire, if you will, and, and trying to protect that which they loved. And the hero's secret weapon was love. So that's the source of our strength. That's the source of our courage. Um, so I think, you know, there's the rah, rah, check me out, kind of I'm heroic. And that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about my, my wife is more heroic than I am. Everybody gets to see me doing my thing because this is what I do. She's the one who gave birth to our two kids at home and has been so many sleepless nights taking the brunt of that so I can do the things that I do. And, and so I'm not talking about fame, wealth, and hotness, which is, you know, here are our heroes, the entertainers, the sports figures, many of whom are worthy of that. And they're good people in addition to being successful at what they do. But I'm talking about all of us. And when we look at those heroes, you know, stories, you know, I watch Mission Impossible, right? Like, all right, cool. A couple of things. One, we're seeing the metaphorical representation of our potential. That's Joseph Campbell's whole point with the hero's myth. All cultures across all time have had them. But you're just seeing your latent potential expressed metaphorically on the screen, um, which is a call to your own adventure to be that best self. And again, to the extent you're not answering that call, you're going to suffer, full stop. And Abraham Maslow, the great humanistic psychologist, says you have a need to self-actualize. Anyone this far into a conversation like this has met the lower rungs of the hierarchy of needs, right? And now you've got this soul aching need to be your best self. And, and our culture doesn't help us understand that. It continues to seduce us to play the wrong game, right? David Brooks' second mountain. You get to the top of the first mountain, you look around, you're like, what? I'm, I don't feel fulfilled. So understanding what the ultimate game is, which is, from my mind, be your best, most heroic self, become a better person, deepen your relationships, and make a contribution, independent of how you're seen in the world, you know, and Instagram followers and all that stuff. Um, and getting that game right, I think, is the um, is what it's all about. And then things shift, you know. Then suddenly you reclaim some agency, you get some more hope, you figure out what you can do practically to be that man in this context that you aspire to be. Um, it's hard, but it doesn't need to be as complicated as it's made to be, you know. Yeah, dude, that's a really good insight on that. So, so let's break down that concept, right? So if, if it's the protector the hero that we need to be, you, when you talked about the ancient Greek heroes, they did what they had to to get to the place where they were able to be the hero, right? You just said they put in the work. What does that look like for Joe, who's listening to the podcast today? Yeah, I mean, just to frame it up, everything I do, so on this arm, I've got Heroic, which is the name of our public benefit corporation. I've got a 25-year goal tattooed to my body. 51% of humanity flourishing by 2051 is the goal to which I've dedicated my life, inspired by a, a guy named Martin Seligman I admire. Um, but uh, everything I do comes down to seven objectives. It's in the book. We, we've trained 10,000 people in our coach certification program, the app, which you've seen. Everything comes down to seven objectives in which I integrate ancient wisdom, modern science. So the first objective is you got to know the ultimate game. You've been seduced to play the wrong game. Um, you got to know the ultimate game. We can talk about that more. The second objective is the practical answer. We start to answer how to play that practically. It's forging anti-fragile confidence. So I love working with everyone, um, especially intense men, frankly, you know, just like these world-class athletes and coaches and executives and again, special forces operators, etc. because they're hungry, they want more. So they love this idea more than anything else. Objective two is forge anti-fragile confidence. So I define some terms. First is forge. 
So you gotta, you gotta turn up the heat. The book has 451 micro chapters, and that's by design. It takes 451 degrees to light a fire. You hit an activation energy point, and one thing becomes another point. So if you wanna boil water, you gotta get to 212 degrees. Nothing happens at 200, 210, 211. 212, one thing becomes another. And then a forge is 2200 degrees. If you wanna forge a sword, you better turn, you gotta not just ignite the fire, you gotta really, really build the, the strength there. Then we forge anti-fragile confidence. Anti-fragility um, is a word I got from Nassim Taleb, the great intellectual, who juxtaposes fragility and what's its opposite. Because before him, the only thing you can think of was resilience. Now, if you're fragile, you break when life hits you. COVID happens, you lose your job, you have some challenges and this or that. You break, you're fragile. And again, talking to men, wah, oh shoot, you know? You're like a package that's sent in the mail. Handle me with care, because if things get hard, I'm gonna break. Now, if you're resilient, you can endure more stress, then you kind of break down, but then you bounce back faster than most people. But what's the opposite of being fragile? What if you were a package and you wrote, throw me around, I get stronger the more you throw me around. That's anti-fragile. That's like going to the gym and lifting real weights and seeing your problems as real weights in the gym and not trying to go lift styrofoam weights. So anyway, that's anti-fragility. Then how do you forge that? You build confidence. So I like to talk about confidence, not, and again, the irony here is that the guys that project, quote, confidence are often the least confident dudes out there. The guys I know who, as we were discussing, you know, the true heroes, they're not the ones beating their chest. These guys are, I don't use words in public to describe them, but those are those guys, you know? But confidence etymologically means intense trust, confidere. So what I like to, to teach guys in particular, but all the people we work with is, if you wanna build intense trust in any relationship, what do you have to do? You have to do what you say you will do. If I didn't show up today for our chat, would you trust me? You may give me one pass, but if I did that again, you'd be like, whatever, this dude's a joke. And you wouldn't trust me. You'd have no confidence in me. Now, if you say that you wanna build a relationship with yourself and you wanna have intense trust in yourself, and you say you're going to do X, Y, and Z, whether it's follow a nutrition protocol or movement training or get a certain amount of sleep or treat your kids a certain way and you don't, Again, no one's perfect, but if you consistently don't do the things you say you will do, you won't have confidence and you shouldn't have confidence. So, uh, forging anti-fragile confidence stated positively, when you get clear on who you are at your best and we have systematic ways to help people get clarity on it, and then you do those things, you build confidence. And then my coach, to wrap it up, my coach is a guy named Phil Stutz, who's in the Netflix documentary with Jonah Hill called Stutz, which is fantastic. I've worked with him 400 one-on-one -on -one sessions, and in one of the first sessions, he complimented me on emotional stamina. He said, you got a lot of emotional stamina. I said, I have no idea what that is, but that sounds awesome. Next session, what's emotional stamina, and how do I build more of it? He says, emotional, emotional stamina, what I now call anti-fragile confidence, is your ability to endure stress and challenge and chaos and uncertainty. And the way you build emotional stamina or anti-fragile confidence is this. The worse you feel, the more you're getting knocked around, the more committed you are to your protocol. So in my old self, when I would get hit, I would go do all the stupid things. I'd invite the circus into town and do all the addictive, stupid behaviors I know I shouldn't be doing. In this new model, when I get hit, I slow down and I say, oh, all right, heroic gods are challenging me. It's time to double down on my protocol. The worse I feel, the more committed I am. But that presupposes you have a protocol. It presupposes you know who you are when you're at your best, and then you can get yourself to do it. Even getting 3%, 5%, 10% better at this is life-changing. Because the very things that used to knock you off the rails become the things that make you stronger. And I've goosebumps saying that. That has transformed um, my life and a lot of the people that we've worked with. Um, that's a long answer to your question, but that's a practical way to become the hero of your own story and to kind of shift from any hopelessness or despair or just knowing you're leaving it on the table, you know what I mean? And activating it um, and showing up um, in a more powerful way. So full disclosure, sometimes I struggle with that end of things, right? So I'm working on stuff, I'm moving forward, trying to become better, and then something happens and then, yeah, go back to the circus. Um, what is how do you how do you get that into your head where where you say no i'm going to let this challenge 
put me in the right direction? How do you, how do you make that shift? Well, first and most importantly, I almost interrupted you to laugh with you, dude, me too. All of okay, us, good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Maslow 101. So Abraham Maslow studied Eleanor Roosevelt, Albert Einstein, the greatest people of his generation. And he said, look, there are great people, like truly great movers and shakers, he said, people that change the world. But there has never been one perfect person. Those same people can be obnoxious, they can be rude, they can be all the things you'd expect from a human being. So there are no perfect people. And my joke to our coaches and community is, you and I aren't gonna be the first. So simply embracing that fact, then we can apply the science of self-compassion. Um, rule number one of that is, you're not alone. So your story that it's just you, something's wrong with me, Brian, something's wrong with you, Josh, or whoever's watching or listening to this, that's the most toxic part of the story. Now, when I wanted to end my own life 25 years ago, I was convinced I was the only one that had my problems. Everybody else had it figured out. Here I am scared of everything, dude. I mean, I used to be just terrified of everything and everyone, I couldn't figure it out. And I was convinced it was just me. You know, and again, our society has taught us that as men, we gotta have it all figured out day one. You better look the part and you better play the part and you better not ever feel inadequate. You know, I've got Eisenhower on my wall back there for a number of reasons, but one of my buddies is a former special forces, military intelligence guy, West Point. I mean, just as powerful as you can be. It wasn't until like 15 years into his career that he read Eisenhower's biography and realized that dude had as much doubt as he did as he went up. So being able to own the fact that we all have the challenges is step number one. Um, and then there's certain things you can practice on that. Um, but again, you start with that recognition, but then you need to know who you are at your best. So it's impossible to work a protocol that you don't have clarity on. So what we help people do, and the simplest way to do it is, um, bust out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on the upper left, write do, and on the upper right, write don't. And then think back to a time in your life when you were dominating it. You're proud of yourself, whether it was a day or a week or a month or a year or even a decade. You were on, dude, in your energy, your work, and your love. What were you doing? Because you were doing certain things, right? And you weren't doing other things. That's the first step in getting clarity on your protocol. Um, and again, we relentlessly get people to get clear. And then we get them to commit every day to being that best version of themselves, especially when you don't feel like it. Um, but again, then we move through. The, the whole objectives are to answer that question of, well, then how do you move from, that sounds pretty good, that, that starts to make some sense, to applying it to your life. Um, and there's an art and science to behavioral change that we talk about a lot as well. Um, and one of the key tenets there is related to what I just shared. You and I have told ourselves that something must be wrong with us if we haven't been able to change our lives. So we think it's a character flaw is the phrase B.J. Fogg, the Stanford dude that inspired James Clear and everybody else on habits. He says, look, it's not a character flaw. Nothing's wrong with you per se. Yeah, you got work to do, but we all do. It's a design flaw. You haven't been taught how to install and delete habits. Um, none of us have, which is crazy when you think about it. Of why aren't we teaching our kids these ideas? That would have been nice. But again, getting rid of the shame and then looking at how we can systematically architect a protocol is the first step. Um, and then, then it's the being able to, not perfectly, but just a little bit more consistently notice, oh, I'm about ready to go off the rails and do that. What might I be able to do right now instead of that? And then when you do have a bad day, the next morning, what do you do? Because uh, we're going to have bad days, dude. I mean... Um, Again, going off a bit here, but one of my favorite mental toughness dudes says um, to professional athletes, how many off days when you are the best in the world at what you do, do you think you should have a month? The amateur, the guy that isn't quite there, a woman that isn't quite there, thinks zero. I should get to a point where I'm the best at what I do. I have zero bad days. And he laughs and he says, no, no, no. The best know they're going to have four, five, six bad days a month. They're just gonna, it's just going to happen. And it's what you do after you have a bad day that matters. How quickly can you bounce back? Can you make the day after the day that you kind of let yourself down, which is going to happen, the best day? I call those rebound days. And again, that's another practical way to start doing these things. Um, I'm saying a ton, but, but those are some of the ideas that, that arise. You talked about three areas. There was energy and love and, the, and another. Tell me about, about the, that kind of breakdown of... Of life. What, I what love it, dude. Your, your, uh, your questions are, I don't know if you're intending to, but you're walking through the objectives in the book. So first objective is know the game. Be the hero of your own story. Second objective is it's supposed to be hard, forge anti-fragile confidence. 
The third objective is optimize your big three. Um, so we call it, we call the big three energy, work, and love. And I kind of integrate Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, and then and Sigmund Freud said, a good life comes down to two things. If you can get your work and your love right, you're, you're I like to say 80% there or so. But if your energy sucks and you have a hard time getting out of bed because of poor lifestyle choices, good luck showing up really powerfully in your work and your love. So that's our big three, energy, work, and love. And I take that same do, don't exercise, and then I, I'd have you bust out three more pages, pieces of paper. Now I wanna know when you were at your energetic best, the most fit, vitalized, energized version of you, what did you do? What did you not do? How about the most productive? Do, don't. How about the most connected to your spouse if you have one, kids if you have them, friends, colleagues? Do, don't. Um, and again, then we take one layer deeper in articulating this. Um, but energy, work, and love, we come back to, you know, all the time in the work to kind of simplify self-development because it's easy to get overwhelmed. You get fired up from a conversation like this or you're walking on fire or whatever and you're like, yeah, but, but you know, the old me would be like, Tony Robbins had categories of improvement. Stephen Covey had roles and goals. All the roles that you have in your life, all the goals you have. I just found myself overwhelmed. So I've tried to simplify everything into concrete things. You can, you can wrap your brain around and go, oh yeah, I can do that. So for example, I'm in bed for eight to nine plus hours a night. That's my, that's my, my secret weapon is sleep. I used to not get good sleep. I used to eat horribly. I used to rarely move my body. Very basic things that I have a checklist for my life, which is another way to frame up a protocol. And the way I describe that is, you would never get on a plane with a pilot who didn't go through a checklist. You just never do that, right? Well, you may not know that surgeons, surgical teams that have checklists that are super basic, they say their first name, they talk about the body part they're gonna work on, basic stuff. Surgeons that have um, checklists kill 47% less people than surgical teams that don't. So my thing is, dude, if you don't wanna to kill today, you wanna to make today a great day, have a simple checklist. Have a few things that you know you do when you're at your best, energy, work, and love. And then my playful challenge to our community is good luck having a really bad day and or a series of bad days if you do those simple things. Because those are the first things to go the moment life gets hard. But if you can look down, and we built an app that does this. This is the entire app. Well, it's not the entire app, but it's a big part of the app. Of, oh, this is me at my best. This is what I do. Boom. Today's the day that I'm going to do it. Again, especially when I don't feel like it, things start fundamentally and permanently changing. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I, I really appreciated the app. I've built similar systems for myself in the past, and, and when I was at my best, right, that's how I did it, you know, yeah. is by going through those those steps, you know, and then you fall off the wagon <laughs> and you got to get back on. But um, that's and, it. But if you've done it, but this is what's exciting yeah. because if you've done it, you can do it again. And then right, what we exactly. need to do is quit giving away our gains. So Josh Waitskin, the great the art of learning is his book and he's a world champion. He was a chess prodigy, Bobby Fischer, searching for Bobby Fischer was based off of him. And then he became a martial arts world champion. But he says, you got to make your prior best, your new baseline. So you can't give away your gains. Once you've done, you've figured out what works for you, lock it in, you know, and you can't, it, it, people want to be able to take a day off. Oh, well, the day becomes two and then it, two becomes mm -hmm. three. Then you forget what you did. The speed with which your, your basal ganglia, the most basic part of your brainstem that basically makes you you in terms of your behaviors, the, <laughs> if you don't consistently do these things, um, you forget about them and you just, you, again, you go off the rails more quickly than you could imagine. But if you can lock in those gains and make your prior best through your baseline, life just becomes a lot more fun. And these aren't chores, by the way. These aren't, oh shoot, here I am listening to Brian and Josh and I gotta go do all these stupid things. No, no, no. These are gifts you're giving to yourself where you make the connection that if I do this, then I feel like that. I like feeling like that. And again, a source of my powers, I don't like feeling like I wanna end my life. Been there, done that, check the box. And the things that I was doing, if I did those things, I'd feel the same way. If I ate the way I used to eat, dude, I'd, I'd buy a pizza, you know, buy one, give them free. Perfect, dinner, breakfast, late breakfast, cool. I've hammered them, you know, working out. No, I played basketball, you know, for like once a, an hour, once a week, that's me working out, you know. All right, cool, sleep, what's that? I'm up till 2 a.m., 2.30, kind of rolling out of bed. I had none of these practices. And if I still did that, 
I would still feel that way. And it's a really exciting thing to make the connection. And then it's not a chore. These are gifts that we're giving to ourselves and we do it with joy. Um, and again, that, that's what people I admire, which tend to be like, happen to have some friends who, who you know, Navy SEALs and these guys, super humble, but they, every day, every day they're earning their trident is their commitment. And that's the humility with the wisdom and the discipline um, that, that I aspire to embody that again, this is, this is the ancient Greek and, and Roman stoic ideal. Be your best self, not someday, today, and not even some, not even today, but, or some moment, but this moment, this moment, this moment. Um, and then you feel, you feel a deep sense of, of eudaimonic joy. It's like a deep sense of happiness. It, it's not the hedonic good mood. It's the eudaimonic good life, which is a whole nother important distinction because we're chasing the good mood. What feels good for three seconds, but then three minutes or three hours or three days later, you're hung over literally or metaphorically. You got to do the things that allow you to have a good life. Then you get to a point where doing those things are the things you most enjoy. Seneca had that wisdom. How great it is to get to a point where you have the discipline and the pertinacity, he says, to do what's best for you such that you get to a point where doing what's best for you is what you most enjoy. You know, and it isn't fun the first 5, 10, 15, 30 days. Um, but again, something happens where you're like, oh, okay, cool. That's wisdom, discipline, embodied. Um, that, that's it. I mean, that's what I've dedicated my life to trying to practice and encourage others to consider practicing too. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, that idea that you know, I, I like that you draw that distinction between that, you know, I want to feel good right now versus I'm going to feel good <laughs> or I'm going to be good, right? The feel good versus be good. You know, that's a big yeah. difference, you know? Yeah. And they go together though. Cause the thing is you can feel good in a moment and you know, you're not being good and you know, you're going to have to pay for that one on the other side, or you can actually do the thing that you know is right for you. And you get to a point where that actually feels good. So me, you know, I sit and I'll meditate for 11, anywhere from 11 to 30 to whatever, 60 minutes, depending on the bubble wrap I have around me. These days it's shorter, you know, but I used to not like that. Now I'm like, oh shoot, I know what it does for me. The clarity that I have, you know, and turning my electronics off at night, getting a good night of sleep. I like showing up. I like creating at a really high level. So I don't need to stay up binge watching Netflix, you know, or, or doing the things I used to do. I'm not pretending like I didn't used to be that guy. But now it's like, it's so clear to me that, yeah, if I do that, then I feel like this the next day. I don't like feeling like that. I do like feeling like this and I've got something that drives me. Therefore, um, again, the, the paradox here is you get to a point where doing the right thing is, is truly what you most enjoy and you get both. You get the good life and you feel good while you're doing it. Um, otherwise you're just making bad trades um, and burning yourself out and um, kind of consistently letting yourself down. And a part of you knows, you know what I mean? Each time that no, fell short, fell short, fell short. At the end of those days is when we want to numb ourselves and we've all got our numbing agents, you know, but the, the solution is simple. Step four, do your best, close that gap, etc. Simple, but not easy. I should emphasize. Right, right. You know, we, I think we, we are in a culture that has encouraged the, ch the chase of the dopamine hit, right? Where it's like, if I do this small thing, it's going to give me a quick hit of dopamine. But what people don't realize is like when you actually do, when you set a small goal and accomplish it, that's a, a better, longer lasting and more effective hit of dopamine. And if you've squandered it all on TikTok, then <laughs> the dopamine isn't there when you need it, you know, when you, if you haven't used it the right way, you know? hundred percent. And again, this is one of the ways we built the app with one of the best product development companies in the world. Can we, they, they helped craft Tinder swipe left, swipe, right. They built Slack, Tinder, Uber eats, other companies like that. But we have this target swipe that is when you do the thing you said you would do and you built that trust. That's just a tiny little splash of dopamine, you know, but just giving yourself that hit for doing the right thing and building your self image, you know, the little moments of celebration that's like me to say, I'm going to do this. I did it. Um, and just forging that, anti-fragile confidence and the identity and the self-image of the guy that you aspire to be. Um, and yeah, yeah, typically that is uh, withdrawn in the wrong areas vis-a-vis -vis TikTok, right. um, Instagram, whatever it is that, that uh, your preferred flavor. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's something about, you know, swiping to get the, the hit of dopamine based on the fact that you actually did the work that actually yep. benefits you, 
you know, so then that yep. actually reinforces for you. I did something good. I got to check the box. And yep. that's a, that's a valuable, a valuable way to hit Dude, your and goals, you need to. To better and then, your life. And you need to celebrate that. Like this is BJ Fogg who inspired Charles Duhigg's Power of Habit and James Clear's Atomic Habits, two great books. BJ Fogg out of Stanford. He says the number one thing that he would teach is celebration. The moment you do the thing you said you would do. For me, I do burpees every day. I do 100 in sets of 11. But after every single set of 11, I literally do a fist pump and I say, that's like me. And he says, you can't wait 30 days. You know, I'm gonna follow a nutrition protocol. I'll give myself this little treat at the end of 30 days. No, no, no. Every time you make the right choice and you close the gap, that's like you. You celebrate it immediately and intensely. It, just that little micro moment of, Boom. All right. I'm affirming that's who I am. That's who I aspire to be and who I just was. Um, it may sound silly, but it's incredibly powerful as we rewire kind of our sense of who we are um, and affirm or the identity we aspire to be with the behaviors we're engaging in. And then you get this virtuous cycle up um, and get those little squirts of dopamine and other hormones that, that, that make you feel good while you're doing what you know is good. When I, uh, I started reading, reading your book yesterday and you know, it starts out with a couple of stories uh, about your, your your kid, about your 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 relationship with your your family. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with your family and how how that has gotten better as you have made some of these shifts. Yeah, so married uh, to a wonderful woman, uh, been together almost seventeen years. Eleven year old son, six year old kid, and I will be really clear. If you brought my wife in here right now, we'd have a very candid conversation about all the opportunities for Brian to uh, to become a better man. Even this morning, a little snippy at one another. Let's go. Wives are always so, that way, aren't they? They're like like you think you're a B plus, and she's always a C, <laughs> always. Not a C, oh maybe goodness. not a C minus. You know, you're passing. Right? Always, every wife, all the time. <laughs> So, I love it. And, and again, so to be clear, this energy and work are very easy for me. Showing up as the man I aspire to be in my relationship with my wife and with my kids is by far the biggest challenge. I'm proud of who I am and how I've made strides from where my dad was and he made strides from where his dad was. Um, but love my kids. Biggest challenge, you know, is to be the exemplar and to... Um, uh, the word parent means to bring forth. I'm kind of an etymology nerd, right? So to parent means to bring forth. So I'm fiercely committed to bringing forth the best in my kids, and of course, in myself and in everyone that we serve. Um, but yeah, I use the, uh, you know, our kids are crazy, dude. Like in terms of what they know relative to what I knew growing up, fixed mindset versus growth mindset, the value of mistakes. There's a certain level of fearlessness in approaching life. That's just, it's a beautiful thing. But I use my son's passion for chess as a, uh, as a uh, context to teach some of these ideas. And, and in the beginning of the book, I'm like, I had written the entire book, but it arte, you know, like, how do you, how do you kick that off? You know, how do you introduce people to this idea? And it turned out that my son was facing a challenge, didn't want to do something. The morning I was like right at the final phase of the book and I, it became the perfect way to kind of introduce these ideas that I talked about of closing the gap. Um, when his little whiny voice came in and he didn't want to do something, you know, you really wanted to do. Um, but yeah, that's a non-answer to your question, but, but <laughs> family's super important to me. And in the men I work with, especially the insanely high performers, this is where they most change their lives. You know, the energy, of course, we've got different challenges, the work, we've got different challenges, but figuring out how to operationalize love um, is something that... Um, I'm committed to and proud of, of the strides that we've made in um, helping the men we serve. Yeah, I, I know that a lot of people, I've said this before, and then I'll get pushed back. I'll say, you know, love is hard work. Marriage is hard work. Parenting is hard work. And, you know, especially when it comes to that romantic relationship, people are always like, like, if it's work, I don't want it. It should be just love. And I'm like, you have no idea what love is, man. <laughs> like, yep. it, it is work. It is hard. And you have to put into it or you don't get anything out of it. And I think it's hard for people to recognize and understand that, that it's not just the feeling of love. Like, it's it's an action. And it's something you have to, to develop in the same way you've got to work out to be healthy. You've got to work out your relationships with people, you know? Dude, 100%. The frame that, that I think it was Leo Buscalia who wrote a book called Love. He said it's easy to fall in love. It's an entirely different thing to stand in love. And it is hard work. And this is part of the second objective. We've been seduced to play the wrong game. And then even more perniciously, we've been seduced that it should be easy. 
And so if it isn't quick, if it isn't easy, and again, every single thing in our culture is seducing us with this, get it quick, get this, get that. And then, you know, if we don't get it, then something's wrong with us, and then we just give up. Um, but it, it's anything, and this is so obvious to say out loud, but anything that's worth having is going to take effort to achieve. And if we can reframe it and say, yeah, of course I'm gonna have to work. I love your metaphor of, you have to go to the relationship gym if you wanna get strong. You have to be willing to tolerate that pain that uncertainty and do the hard work to, to forge great relationships. Nothing's harder than that. It's hard enough for me to have a good relationship with myself. Then I bring my wife in, all right, cool. That became infinitely more challenging. Now I've got two kids. Oh wait, then I'm running the business and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Wow, good luck, throw your arms up. But that's when we get to the, the basic core fundamentals. You control the controllables, you get your consciousness right such that you're in a position to um, show up um, better and better, but yeah, there's uh, there's nothing more challenging in my life. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> the human beings with whom I, I uh, you know adore and with whom I interact on a daily basis. All right, let's go. Put your practice, put your philosophy into practice. You know. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, as our our podcast is is definitely for men, helping men to become even better men which I say all the time because I, I don't want to imply that being a man is bad, which our culture loves to say these days, you know. Um, I, I think of the quote from uh, Thoreau who talked about men who lead lives of quiet desperation, hmm. you know. Um, what what do you see when you hear that and when you look at the state of, you know, manhood around the world and, and in people's lives? Like, like what do you think – uh, do you think that this that, that what you're doing is is the kind of answers that people need for that? I mean, look, our our culture is um, literally and metaphorically sick. So Krishnamurti back in the day said, uh, "It's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society." So I think we need to step back, look at what everyone's doing, and as Mark Twain says, anytime he finds himself on the side of the majority, he pauses and reflects. Usually, not a good idea. So I think it takes something heroic, something iconoclastic to step back and say, but wait, 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 just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that I should be doing it. Um, and I think, to your point, we're just in a very interesting time. You know, there's, there's so many things going on. Just when you thought the world couldn't get worse, the last 45 days happen as we're recording. We need strong human beings. We need strong men. And I, I believe we need men grounded in virtue, living with wisdom, with discipline, with love, with courage, with gratitude, with hope, with curiosity, with zest, and with humility, yet also that um, integrated um, masculinity, if you will, and ambition, and, and just a, a vision for how we can create a better world. And then again, doing the hard work to create that strength so we can actually show up powerfully. I don't think there's ever been a, a time where we needed powerful human beings and powerful men and leaders than right now. I mean, that full stop. This is a, uh, it's a historically significant moment. Um, and I think each of us stepping up and showing up in our own grounded, calm, confident, you know, energized and tranquil way to make a difference is paramount, full stop. Like that, that's, it's, and again, quit looking outside yourself. You're the one we've been waiting for is, is kind of the essence of, of my work is. No, no, no. You're the hero we've been waiting for. We've said it a million times, but it's hard work. And do it. Perfect. That, that's what you're here to do. Be that radiant exemplar. Most men, frankly, if I had to guess, I mean, 80% of us are struggling in one way or another with anxiety, depression, etc. Um, and all of us do on a spectrum of, of um, more or less um, kind of uh, catastrophic or impactful. But I think that desperation can be represented in that, those lines we drew. If you're capable of being this, there's a part of you that knows what you're capable of being in any given moment. And if you're actually being this, boom, in that moment, ah, no, I, I know I could have done it. You do that enough times. And Maslow talked about this too. He said, you can step forward into growth or back into safety. Forward into growth, back into safety. I call it plus one, minus one, plus one, minus one. Now, at the end of the day in which you went backwards when you could have gone forwards, Maslow again says, there's a part of your consciousness where every single deviation from your potential makes an imprint in your consciousness. And that, in aggregate, leads to a life of, of quiet desperation. But, but it doesn't need to. And the exciting thing is, right now, and one of the metaphors spiritual teachers use is, the moment you flip on the light in a room, it's lit. It, boom, the light's there. The moment you close the gap, boom, you've been your best self. You will feel better in the moment in which you, boom. And my best days now are the days when the old me would have gone off the rails. 
and that, they're not great days now. Like if I'm not feeling it and it's just whatever, and I literally just need to force myself to go do the stupidest things or not do the really stupid things, there's a sense of like deep confidence. And again, I'm not saying I'm a rock star in all those. There's always a, a high and a low, you know what I mean? But, but those are the days where I know that I, I did what I needed to do at the best I could that day, you know? That's how I think we close the gap so we can get rid of that quiet desperation. Now, when you flip the switch, the light's on, but the reality is you may have some cleanup to do, you know, whether that's in your health or your work or your finances or your relationships, but then go get to work. Do the cleanup. What are you going to do? You know, as Seth Godin says, it's unfortunate that you waited so long to, to be your best self, but it's unforgivable to wait any longer. Um, you know, JFK, best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is right now. Get to work. That You need to understand that and then feel the urgency to, um, to show up and act like you mean it, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know that uh, when I look at everything that's going on in the world today, and I think some of the things that I hear from guys a lot, we, we get fixated on really, you know, the culture war, you know, I hate to use that word because that tends to make you feel like you're aligning on one side of it or another. But I think it's, you know, uh, when we look at what's happening all around us, it's so easy to get to get lost in the, oh, but this happened in Afghanistan. And oh, but these people are, are reading books to children in libraries, and they shouldn't be reading books to children in libraries. And we get fixated on, on everything that is not going the way that it should in the world. And then like they get despairing, they get lost, they get completely focused on everybody else's problems. How do we bring that back in where we can actually make a difference with it? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier to, to consume all of this and then complain about, you know, all the things going on. That's what victims do. So what victims do is they look at the world and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, and they did this and they did that. My God, they're so wrong. Perfect. All right, well, the hero... The victim becomes the creator of their own story and then the hero of their own story. And you make that shift, um, criticizing, complaining, gossiping, you know, like we need to be mindful of, of how we're doing that. But then we need to recognize the fact that the real war, culture war, whatever you want, real literal, you know, wars, let alone the metaphorical wars that are going out there. They are what they are, but they're secondary to the war within our own consciousness. And this is what all great teachers across all cultures, across all time have said. Um, and I can give you a, a hundred examples. I mean, even if you go to uh, Islam, Rumi, the mystic poet, he talks about the ultimate jihad is not against external, quote, oppressors. That's the secondary jihad. The ultimate jihad is within your own consciousness. The Bhagavad Gita, Gandhi's Bible, was set on a, on a metaphorical battlefield, representing the battle within each of our minds. I've got Lincoln on my wall up here. And I meditate every morning, and part of my, it's like a heroic meditation, right? I do it on my own terms. Um, but I bring my heroes to mind, one of whom is Lincoln. Lincoln tells me every morning, win the inner civil war, so you can help win the external civil war in all the different forms that it arises. But that's the ultimate battle. Um, between your daimon, which I mentioned, uh, which means good soul. So the ancient Greeks called that guiding spirit within you that always knows. You always know. How do I know what the right thing to do is? You pause and ask yourself. You always know. It's not, I want to yell at my wife some more. It's, oh, yeah, I want to have a relationship where I'm with her for 51 years, which I literally commit to every day. Well, is what I'm doing right now helping with that? That's wisdom and discipline, etc. But anyway, you have your daimon, which is your guiding spirit. And then you have your demon, which is literally the diminutive of daimon is demon. That's where the word comes from. So then you have the voice of virtue and the voice of vice always barking at you. All cultures talked about that. And the question is, which one are you letting run the show um, and stepping back and choosing more wisely again to close the gap? But yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's a 2,500-year-old challenge, A. B, it's amplified at a degree that's um, historically significant. I mean, I believe that right now, this moment, when you look back on it in 500 years, is a moment. Um, and it demands that we step up um, and I dedicate the book to the individual reading it, who's the hero we're waiting for, to my wife and my kids, and then to the reader and their kids, if they have it. I mean, this is, I think, the most important work. Um, even you tell me about your son getting the t-shirt, you know, and I'm like, there we go. All right, cool. And then his kids, you know, like this is how we can fundamentally um, and permanently affect the change. But it starts with us. 
um, figuring out. I didn't do the final point on that little exercise. So when you sure. do the do and the don't, look at that list and then think of the one thing that you know you could be doing, that you have done successfully in the past, that if you started doing that one thing consistently would most change your life. Circle it. And then what's the one thing you just know you need to stop? We've all got kryptonites, but what's yours? And you're not going to do it because you should. No, someone told me I should. No, no, you know. That's the start. That's the stop. Circle the, the, the stopping. And I, I come back to that exercise all the time. Anytime I'm feeling a little wobbly or more often these days I want to go next, next level, I come back to that. All right, where do I need to turn it up even more, you know? Um, but that number one start, number one stop, I have found to be a really practical um, kind of centering tool um, to get to work on what I've decided is most important um, and move through that despair, um, become who I believe I'm, I'm capable of. And, and frankly, uh, it's a, it's a, at the end of the day, for me, it's like it's a moral thing. I feel called to, to feel blessed to be here and to have the opportunity to do what I do. And it's like finding that strength in something bigger than myself and then doing it, especially when I don't feel like it for um, my kids, my wife, um, and even us right now, you know, like we're doing, I think we're doing important stuff and we're blessed to be in a position to be in dialogue, sharing this conversation. And I think we need to step up and be the change we want to see. Um, now, <laughs> full stop. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Brian, I like to ask all my guests a few questions. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, you may have even touched on a lot of this as we've been talking, but, but I think it's a good way to sum it all up. So the first question is this, what does it take to be a man? Yeah, I think that that's, that's a question that each of us needs to ask ourselves. And, and at the end of the day, my work is I'm agnostic as to what someone believes. You know, we've been blessed to serve people of, of every faith, devout people of every faith. And they find resonance in my work because I push them. I push them to be in integrity with their beliefs. So for me, it means something. And I would challenge the individual to think about what it means for them. But for me, it means to, to show up, to be my best self. Again, not perfectly, but moment to moment to moment and to be a demonstration of what's possible to be the best, most heroic version of myself while helping others to do the same. The hero becomes the guide is a metaphor I use a lot in my work. And we need the hero to conquer their dragons to come back and be the guide for other heroes. That's my whole mission in life. That's how I intend to help change the world is getting enough of us to become the guides. That's what it means for me to be a man, to live in integrity with my values, to embody wisdom, discipline, love, and courage, the cardinal virtues of ancient stoicism. Um, in service to something bigger than myself. But, but, but that's me. And then my work is, what is it for you? Pause, turn off TikTok, ask yourself the question, you know? And then the question is, are you living in integrity with it? And if not, do whatever you need to do, whether it's the do and don't and the other things, but get in integrity because that despair will be there to the extent there's a gap. Um, and the one word practice for me, the mantra for me is arate, 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 boom, right now, let's go. Excellent. Thank you for that, man. All right, so let's say you're able to suspend the laws of physics and time and space, and you can go back in time and talk to 10-year-old Brian. What do you want him to know? Dude, I so wish I could do that. Um, so wish I could do that. Uh, I had a conversation with a friend the other day on something similar, and it was interesting because it would be less me telling the 10-year-old version of me something and me being in my 10-year-old's presence. And, and it's what I aspire to do for my 10-year-old, you know, and, and to imagine the 10-year-old version of me looking at me, you know, and just feeling, oh, dude, I, I want, oh, that's cool, and just be able to tell him, dude, we're winning. We're good. Keep it up. But then I would teach him all this stuff we're, we're talking about. So he didn't need to take an extra 30 years to figure it out, you know. Uh, but all the basic fundamentals, you know, all the things we, we touched on. And, um, but, but my main thing in my work is um, the seventh objective in the book is to activate your superpower. And I playfully say that all superpowers have the same superpower, um, which is... Gandhi called it soul force. Martin Luther King quoted Gandhi and called it soul force in his I have a dream speech. But if you thought of your favorite heroes, and this is what I would want my 10-year-old to feel in me, 10-year-old version of me, and my 10-year-old. So who are your favorite heroes? Actually, it's a kind of a fun little question. Do you have uh, two heroes that come to mind? 
Myself? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my dad, for sure. Amazing. Uh, and I would probably say, I think Lincoln is one of my heroes for sure, Abraham Lincoln. Amazing. So everyone's going to be different than Lincoln, but not knowing your dad, I'm going to offer that they're very different human beings. So Lincoln, you know, is this guy, your dad is this guy. Um, and, and I like to frame it up with two of my favorite heroes, Gandhi and Churchill, who are as different as they could possibly be. I mean, Gandhi will wear a loincloth to the palace. He's skinny. You know what I mean? He'd, he'd go days without talking. Churchill's poorly would always talk and all this stuff. And those guys didn't even like each other, but they're both heroic. And they have one thing in common, which is in their presence, you felt something. And Gandhi would call that soul force. The ancient Chinese philosophers would call that moral charisma. So an individual who is living in integrity with their highest values has a felt moral charisma that we evolved to want to be around. There's a neuroscience to this, that we know when someone is living in integrity and you want to lean into them. Being that person is my deepest aspiration and what I'm, in t what I'm so committed to activating because the third hero I have people think of is you at your best, most heroic self. And you have those qualities that your dad possesses. And how amazing is that that your dad's one of your heroes and Lincoln possessed. So, all right, what qualities do they have that are latent within you and how do you activate that? Um, and then remember, Lincoln isn't Lincoln without the Civil War. There's no Lincoln without insane challenges. Goosebumps every time I think about that. So your challenges that you're trying to get rid of are the very things that are going to make you the human being you're destined to be. If you embody them and approach them rather than try to reject them and complain about them or avoid them. Um, long answer to, I don't remember what the question was, but <laughs> that's my thought on that. No, that's good. That's good. All right. My last question for you. My last question for you is what is your best advice for the men that are listening today? Think about whatever resonated with you in our chat. And um, there, I imagine and I hope if you're this far into the chat, that there's one thing that just hit, that was just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, that wasn't a new idea. I'm almost certain it wasn't a new idea. We just maybe said it in a way that reminded you of something you already knew that just you needed to hear right now. And I have goosebumps and tears in my eyes as I say that. That's the most important thing. And most importantly, you got to move from theory to practice on it. It's not enough to, to listen to podcasts and to read books and to do all these things. You got to move from theory to practice to mastery. This is the ancient philosopher. They were warriors of the mind. They were deep, deep practitioners. They weren't librarians. They weren't cataloging ideas. They were figuring out how to live them. But I would take the thing that most resonated with you that you think might be a thing that could transform your life. Um, and then have Jim Rohn in mind. So Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins' mentor, said that sometimes in life, you have a combination lock you're trying to open. Let's say there's like six numbers on the lock, right? And you don't know, but you've got the first five figured out. And it's the seventh little number that you're gonna put into place that will, that will open that door, that will open that lock. So perhaps an idea that, that you, um, an insight that was affirmed in our chat could be that for you. Um, but moving from theory to practice on that would be my uh, number one piece of advice. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, man. Brian, so are people that are listening today and they're like, all right, I, I got to I gotta get more of what Brian's putting out. This is good stuff. This is helpful for me. What is the best way for them to connect with you? Yeah, two ways. Um, one is the book, which is, uh, I'm not sure when we're, we're releasing this, but comes out November 14th. Um, really excited about that. It's kind of a concrete way that operationalizes, um, you know, all the things we talked about, seven objectives, 451 little micro chapters, one, two, three pages each. These ideas, but 451 of them. And my idea is I'm going to overload. I'm going to give you all these ideas. You can get in and get out two or three minutes, but hopefully fire you up and get you activated. Um, so the book, Arete, um, if you're listening, I don't think we've spelled it out, but A-R-E-T-E, -E, yes, you've never heard of the word, almost certainly, and we should have it in our cultural vernacular, A-R-E-T-E, -E, it's everywhere you buy books, and then the Heroic app, um, you can find it heroic.us, um, and in your iOS and Android app stores, it's Heroic, the training platform, where we do a ton of stuff, I've read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books that I distill into these little summaries called Philosopher's Notes. We do a ton of other things in the app um, that a lot of people have gotten a lot out of. Um, so if you've resonated, you might like the book and the app. Awesome, awesome. Guys, make sure you check it out. We'll have those links in the show notes 
as well. So if you're listening or watching, just go down to the show notes and descriptions and you'll see the link there to, to connect with us. So Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate your insights and your energy, man. It's good stuff. Josh, I appreciate you, the work you're doing for men, um, more important than ever. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. I really appreciate your take on the world. And uh, yeah, man, this is good stuff. Can't wait to see uh, how this is going to help me. Maybe it'll help some of our other guys. Let's continue this journey of becoming the hero of your story becoming a hero to somebody else, making a difference, and really fully living up to the potential that we're capable of. Guys, if you want to discuss this, if you want to get connected, we've got a place where men help men become better, where we help each other level up, where we encourage each other, where we build each other up and not tear each other down, and that's the Manlyhood Man Cave, which is our private Facebook group. Uh, we try not to have a lot of rules, but the main rule is just uh, don't be a jerk. <laughs> if you can do that, and you can encourage each other, then join the group. We'd love to have you. Uh, again, guys, share this episode with somebody if you think it's going to help them. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Manlyhood and becoming a better man is something that we all need to strive for, and we need to help others do as well. So let's share it. Let's spread the word. Anyway, guys, just remember, I love you. I'm proud of you, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manlyhood Mancast. If you want to be a better husband, father, leader, a better man, you need to join our private Facebook group, The Manlyhood Man Cave. Join today. Please help us out with a like, comment, share, and subscribe. And check us out at manlyhood.com.